Welcome to Therapeutic Perspective. My name is Sarah Dynan, and I will be your host. Each episode, our goal is to educate clinicians on current issues presented in society and feature specialists that can help us to navigate these issues. As a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Northeast Pennsylvania, with over a decade in the field, I am always wanting to learn more to better serve my clients. Especially as things in society evolve and change, I believe we need better access to current information. Therapeutic Perspective is a continuing education provider, so stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can obtain NBCC continuing education credit hours for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to Therapeutic Perspective. I am your host, Sarah Dynan. In this episode, we are going to talk about providing services to the deaf community. I don't know of any other trainings or any other podcasts out there that have covered this topic, so I am so excited to bring it to you. We are going to cover everything from the requirements under the Americans with Disability Act, how to attain and use an interpreter in session, confidentiality, and so much more. To help us navigate this process, we have Bonito Perales. He comes to Therapeutic Perspective with a wealth of experience in this field as an interpreter and as a mental health professional in the field. So without further delay, welcome to the show, Bonito. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm so excited to educate our listeners on everything that you have to say and help us navigate serving the deaf community effectively. Um, But first, we want to get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, uh, My name is Benito Agustin Perales, a very Hispanic name, but most people call me Benny. Uh, So Benny is fine. Um, Well, after I, I after I got out of the military, I needed a career path, and so after several years of doing menial jobs, I went to school to be a nurse. And in that process, I took a sign language class that totally uh, just captured me. And I took the, uh, one day this these people came in from what they call the Connection Club. It's the ASL club of San Antonio College where I went, and I didn't know, but I found out that you could actually make a living being a sign language interpreter. And I was absolutely fascinated. Class ended. I walked to the administration office, changed my major, and I went from a struggling C student to an A student, like in one semester. I loved, you know, interpreting. It was extremely challenging uh, getting through the program, but by the time I got out, I had no problem passing my state certification. Um, I did that for six years and then I went into my national certification, passed that, uh, and I was an interpreter for 13 years. I've worked in the community, doing doctor's visits, interviews, funerals, uh, you name it, I've done it, uh, except for legal. Legal is probably the only thing I haven't done because you need a special certification here in Texas. I've all, uh, then I retired and decided to go back to school to get my social work degree. Uh, I got my master's in social work. Currently, I'm a licensed uh, licensed master social worker. I worked at the Bear County Jail in corrections, working with inmates, and currently work at a psychiatric hospital in the admissions department, where I get people who are really, really ill. 
and um, my job is to help get them the services they need uh, within our hospital. Very cool. So you've had like kind of some different career paths, and now you're at this um, section where you can kind of combine both your experience in working with the deaf community and mental health. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why we brought you on because of this like unique experience that you have in both fields. And I think maybe what a lot of us therapists are thinking is, well, working with the deaf community is not my specialty. And I, I simply can't work with the deaf community because I don't know sign language. But what many professionals I think may not realize is that under the Americans with Disability Act, this is a requirement um, to be able to provide services. Can you enlighten us with how this works for us? Yes, so you're correct. Uh, the American Disability Act covers uh, deaf communication, providing equal access for, for people who happen to be deaf. Now, one thing I do wanna say is there in the deaf community, a lot of the people do not believe that their deafness is a disability. You know, but they do require an interpreter uh, to have equal access to services like doctors, lawyers, you know, job interviews uh, and mental health services to include therapy with a therapist, social work services where they want to go get community resources, psychiatric hospitals. And the law requires these providers to hire an interpreter out of their own pocket, the business's pocket. And it is the uh, the the professional's responsibility to hire these individuals uh, that will interpret for the deaf client. So under this act, it's a requirement that we are able to provide services, even if we ourselves are, are not able to do sign language, it's our requirement to find an interpreter and also incur the cost to do so. Can we talk a little bit about at first, let's kind of start with sign language in itself, right? So here we are, we have a deaf client reaching out to us wanting services. And from my understanding, there's various types of sign language. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of the difference between the various variations in sign language? Yes, so currently, uh, you know, I did my research right okay. before I came in because I wanted to update myself. There are over, 200 different forms of sign language. Wow. Sign language is not universal. A lot of people think all sign language is the same. It is not true. There are many spoken languages as there are sign languages. So like Japanese sign language, uh, Mexican sign language, Australian sign language are all very different. Uh, the closest two languages that, are, uh, that overlap are French sign language and American sign language. And the reason for that is that we had a Frenchman who came over, immigrated to America, and ended up teaching, you know, our population here sign language. As the years have gone uh, by, you know, it's modified itself to its own American sign language. And even within each country, there are pockets of sign language that vary from one another. Um, it's very much like uh, in, in the hearing world, here in America, uh, you'll have dialects, you know, and, and how people use language. So, for example, a Coke, a soda, a Pepsi, you know, a pop, uh, all mean the same thing. They're just using a different word for it. And so it's the same thing uh, in American Sign Language. In addition, uh, it will show up in how someone signs. 
So like in the East Coast, people tend to speak faster. Uh, in the Midwest, uh, people speak to uh, speak uh, slower. Same thing with sign language. It's, uh, it's very interesting, uh, very fascinating. It's one of the reasons why I really like the language and doing the work that I did. So with all these variations, us as therapists, is that like a question we would ask of the potential client is what type of sign language do you use in that? And then we take that step to help find an interpreter. Is, is that part of the process? Yeah. So generally what, what generally what will happen is um, not to jump too far ahead, but a deaf, let's say a deaf person contacts you. More than likely, it's going to be through a phone call. And you're like, a phone call? Well, there's what we call video relay interpreting. So a deaf person will call an interpreter, and it's like a Zoom meeting. Uh, the, the interpreter and the deaf person can hear each other. The deaf person will ask the interpreter to dial a phone number. And that interpreter will, will let's say, call you. You will answer the phone, and the interpreter will identify themselves, then introduce you to your caller. The deaf person will inquire about your services and you'll have a, a normal consultation like you do with anyone else. You just happen to have an interpreter present and it is private. Uh, video relay is covered under the FCC. So every conversation that occurs between you and the deaf client when you use the video relay is confidential. And so one of the questions you could ask is, what form of sign language do you use? Is it American Sign Language? Is it English Sign Language? Uh, and some people will know, and some people will just tell you, well, I sign. And so okay. what you do is you try to find an interpreter that has a higher level of certification or skill sets that will be able to assess the deaf person when they meet. And what will happen is the interpreter depending on their skill level, will be able to modify the way they sign to meet the client where they're at in their language skills. So, so a couple of things. So once you hang up the phone call, um, what happens most often is uh, the professional will look and Google interpreter services and they'll go through an agency most times. I would recommend, and the agencies won't be happy with me, but I would recommend finding an interpreter in your community that you can hire independently. Uh, two reasons, because you, you absorb the cost. If you go through an agency, the cost is much higher. But if you contract with an interpreter directly, you will be able to save money and the interpreter will probably make more money than they would if they accepted a contract through an agency. So it's a win-win in my opinion. Uh, in addition, one of the things I would suggest is Hiring the same interpreter, one or two, that their skill sets can meet various levels of, of language with a deaf client. And the benefit in doing this is that this interpreter will get used to your therapeutic style. They will get accustomed to the types of interventions that you use. They'll get accustomed to how you speak, what language you use. And in building that relationship, um, I think that the therapeutic process would be much more beneficial to everybody involved. In like using the same person and having that relationship and also using somebody that's outside of an agency because it's technically uh, traditionally is less cost for the therapist. And then 
beneficial for the interpreter because they're able to kind of benefit more financially from providing the service. So kind of if you can move around using an agency, that's like the best way to go. And I know you mentioned it's all covered through FCC regulations. So everything is kept confidential. And I know in healthcare, we're familiar with with HIPAA. So that's the big thing I want to hit home to therapists because I think that can be really unnerving just to um, make sure that that interpreter might be hearing sensitive information and they're bound to confidentiality. How does that typically work when it comes to situations of abuse? Is that interpreter a mandated reporter? So, no. Let's say in the video relay uh, call. it is a it is a confidential call, so I cannot call, uh, let's say CPS because I see a child being abused, because I'm prevented, because the equal access means that if a hearing person had called, let's say you, and they were, you know, abusing their child, unless you recognized it because of what you heard, you know. You would be you would make that call, but maybe you didn't recognize yeah. it. You maybe you thought the child was crying. I hear the same thing, but on the video, really, I can see it as well. So, if I call, I'm not providing equal access. I break it because I'm the third party that's involved. I I have interpreted vi- video relay calls where I've done drug deals. Oh, okay, and because I'm under FCC, I can't report it because I would be breaking that that to understand confidentiality that happens between people who make phone calls to their drug dealers, let's say on a pay phone, okay. you know, unless it's tapped, you, it, you just can't do it. So would you ever be subpoenaed? Like would the interpreter ever be uh, like called in to like a trial if something were to come up or no? Yes. Okay. Interpreters can't be subpoenaed. Okay. And that's when the interpreter would, uh, contact their insurance company, find out what the legalities are, what they can and cannot say. Um, And we as interpreters do fall under uh, confidentiality when it comes to, let's say, attorneys and therapists. Uh, So we are bound as much as you are. In addition, in our profession, confidentiality is one of the tenets that we are required to follow. So anything that is said or happens within a session or at a community service or in a hospital, I can't go and just talk about it. I can actually lose my license for doing so. Uh, one of the things that happens in deaf culture is because it is such a collective mindset compared to the general American individualist mindset, once somebody finds the information out, it spreads like wildfire. You know, one of the aspects of deaf culture is when you've gathered news that's important about the community or something that's happening in our society, because not everybody has access like we hearing people do, you know, CNN, television, or local news, radio, deaf people don't have as much access as uh, hearing people do. So they tell each other the information that they, they feel is really important. It is part of the community. So, you know, that you hear Benny's doing therapy everybody's going to want to know what's going on. They they want to know how they're going to be able to support. And so it's very important for the interpreter to keep things confidential. In fact, we won't even acknowledge someone 
like we would as therapists in the community unless they addressed us first. I see, I see. Which I think is really reassuring for therapists who are new to this process is to know like how highly regarded confidentiality is and how protected our clients would be in that case as well. Do you think in in hiring an interpreter, is it a requirement to have the interpreter be of the same gender or same age of the client? Is that something that's important or something that we should consider when looking for an interpreter? Yes. I, I personally think it's very important for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one is, let's say some, somebody's coming in for therapy. Having a, and it happened, your client happens to be a man, and they're having intimate relation issues. It would be very uncomfortable to talk about that in front of a woman. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, in addition, having... Um, a woman who's your client who's having issues with domestic violence, having a man present would be very uncomfortable. Someone who's been raped, somebody mm -hmm. who's dealt with military sexual trauma. Uh, having the same genders just works better. In addition, we have a perspective of the world and our roles generally as a man and as a woman that the interpreter kind of understands and can interpret appropriately culturally as well. Uh, if you do video relay, I think it's important as well. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, I mean, when I interpret between two teens who are in love with each other, you have a young deaf lady who's telling her boyfriend she loves him and he hears my voice. It gets really quiet very fast. And so I have to let the deaf girl know, hey, just so you know, he's hearing a man's voice. It's a little awkward. Then she gets it. Okay. And so okay. then we get a female interpreter. So it really does make a difference. Can you just clarify the difference between an interpreter and then um, video relay? Or is there a difference or are they pretty much simultaneous terms? Um, the actual work itself is very similar. How it is done is very different. So when it comes to video or relay, you're having both parties not in your office or sitting in front of you. You have the deaf client more than likely at home and you have a video relay interpreter at some business office or at their home. And then you're in your office. And so what will happen is you will be, uh, it can be done two ways. You can be on the phone or you can do a three-way on Zoom. Okay. And so you will talk to your deaf client and when your deaf client speaks to you, the interpreter will speak. And then when you respond, the interpreter will sign. And really the conversation is between you and the deaf client. I think one of the most important things that clinicians need to understand is culturally, one of the most important things is eye contact. Okay. Eye con breaking eye contact can be considered dismissive and rude. However, as clinicians, a lot of us take notes. So what you need to do is you need to be able to set up what the process is going to look like for the deaf person, letting them know that I'm going to be taking notes. I will be breaking eye contact. And the importance of it is for, and then you give them the reasons, because normally you, you wouldn't break eye contact. Uh, so that's just one of the things that would occur. When you're in person, you'll have your deaf client in front of you. Ideally, you would want the interpreter by your side, because it will be easier for the deaf client to just look to the right, look in you, to the interpreter in you, it's just that fast, compared to looking at you, 
you speak and me looking at the interpreter and then me looking back at you. It takes a lot of extra time. It does. It and does. you'd be surprised how much time it takes uh, to do the interpreting process. So generally you'd like to, if you do a 50 minute session, you might want to do a, a 75 minute session because it does take that much longer due to the interpreting process that occurs. Yeah, so it's important to kind of allocate for that when we're doing our scheduling is to know that it does take a little bit longer with the interpretation process and to make sure that our clients are, you know, getting what a, a person of hearing would get. They would be entitled to a 50-minute session, and so you want to be able to give them that same um, time. So that might mean 75 minutes because of the the lag time between the interpretation and maintaining that eye contact is huge. Um, I think sometimes we have this, we might, because if we've never worked with an individual in the deaf community, we might want to be looking at the interpreter during um, our sessions because they're the ones that are going to be relaying the information, but it's important that we talk to the deaf person and then the interpreter will hear it and do the signing accordingly. So I think that's something, like you said, that's yes. a really important key component. What if the individual comes to us and they have, they want a family member or a friend to serve as their interpreter in the mental health setting? Is that appropriate, inappropriate, common, uncommon? Well, when, before the interpreting profession came about in the 1970s, early 1970s, it was family members and friends who did all the interpreting, you know, and I'm talking about children that would go to the store or to the doctor and would interpret between the client and the doctor or the attorney or the bill collector or whoever. Um, but as time has gone on, that still tends to happen outside of services where a family member or friend will go to the store, they go to the restaurant and they'll do the interpreting. But when it comes to a professional setting of any kind, um, a family member should not be interpreting. It's like having a doctor do surgery on a family member. It, there's just so many conflicts that can occur. Um, in addition, so, and I'm, I'm using therapy a, a lot as, as a reason, but let's say, uh, in getting community services, mom brings her daughter and they're asking mom all these questions. And some of those questions are, can be very difficult for the child to hear or may feel uncomfortable interpreting that child may not interpret the whole meaning, the whole message because they're uncomfortable doing so. So the professional is missing that information. Uh, in addition, if you're doing therapy and let's go back to domestic abuse and you have a family member, maybe mom, maybe a child, and they're talking about the abuse, that's really hard to interpret. Uh, so it can cause secondary trauma to the family member. Yeah. In addition, they may think that's too private to share and won't tell the therapist uh, what mom just said or dad just said or sister just said. So it is best not to have a family member. It just creates too much conflict. In addition, there would be an alliance between the family member and the deaf person, which can impede uh, the therapeutic process. I see, I see. So it's really, you know, somebody comes to us and they're like, hey, I can save you money. I have my my friend. She can interpret for us. It's best that we advise and say that it, it seems like a great idea. We might be alluring because we can save on costs, but really it, it's not 
recommended and really not a good idea at all because it can really inhibit the process. It is not using a family as a way to protect yourself li with liability. You know, you use a family member, something really bad happens because you didn't provide an interpreter under the ADA, that dead person can come back and sue you. Ooh, that's, that's a good thing to take home. That's really important to know. And as we're yeah. talking about <laughs> having an interpreter, can you give us like a ballpark on how much therapists can anticipate to spend on having an interpreter for per session? Okay, so that is going to depend on several factors. So when looking for an interpreter, one of, you're going to want an advanced interpreter. You're not going to want somebody who's been interpreting for a couple of years in a mental health setting um, due to the, the nature of, of the language that you're going to be using. There's a lot of jargon in what we do. Um, and there are different tiers of interpreters. So we have a national certification. We also have various states that provide certification. So here in Texas, uh, we do have three levels of certification. We have a basic advanced and a master. Here in our state, it is recommended to use uh, an advanced or master uh, certified person. Each tier gets paid differently because of their certification plus their years of service. So if you go through an interpreter, it can be 25 to $75 or more an hour okay. with a two hour minimum. Uh, in addition, if you go through an agency, it would be significantly higher. Um, agencies really don't share what they charge. Uh, so that's not really something I would be able to really tell you, but I do know interpreters that get paid 30 to $50 an hour through an agency. And so that's not including the cut that they have to take for their business uh, and profit. I see what you're saying. So on average, you're saying 75 to, what would you say? I'd say, I'd say a minimum 75 to 100 minimum. if you're going through an agency. That's why I recommend finding an interpreter, interpreter. Uh, that you can contract with independently. Okay. It'll save you a lot of money. And when you say minimum of two hours, does that include like two sessions? Like minimally you use that interpreter for two sessions mm -hmm. or is it two hour? Like, are they anticipating using it, them for two hours? Here, here in Texas, mm -hmm. here in, so I'm going to speak for Texas. Here in Texas yes. generally is if you, it, it's a two hour booking, it doesn't matter if it's a 15 minute meeting or a three hour meeting, it's a two hour minimum. And if the person doesn't show up, the interpreter still gets paid. There has to be a 24 hour cancellation for the interpreter uh, to be able to find work. And it's just like us, if we don't have 24 hours, we're losing out on money because yeah. what's the chances of getting that slot filled? Yeah. So it's the same for the interpreter. And, it, and that would include drive time. I and see. Because interpreters have to go from one point to another. So it, it incorporates that drive time. If you work with an interpreter independently, that's negotiable. I see, I see. So you kind of have a little bit more flexibility, you would say, if you do use an independent contractor. Yes, because both of y'all can ask for what you need and also be, be able to put boundaries on what you're willing to do. I see, I see. And so when it comes to scheduling, right, is that something, do we schedule with both the interpreter and our client? Or do we start with the client and then the client kind of works with the interpreter for scheduling? Like how, how, do, what's the appropriateness of that pro part of the process? That falls on the professional to manage. 
So you will ask the dev client what times and days they're available. Um, if it were me, I would ask for, for two, three days, two, three times that would work for the individual. Then I would contact the interpreter or the interpreting agency and say, I need someone during this time frame. Do you have someone available? They say, yes, I have your, your second choice. I do have it available. You let the deaf person know that you're confirming on this date, you will have an interpreter and it's taken care of and both people meet. They generally will meet early, if especially if it's their first time, so they can have a conversation so they get, they could see what their language styles are. So ah, okay. having this conversation with the deaf client is very important for me because it does a couple of things. It allows me to assess their language so I can meet it. Two, it allows me the opportunity to build rapport, which gives the deaf person a chance to see if they trust me or not, or if my skills are good enough for them, because they're going to end up coming to you and letting you know, I want a different interpreter, or this interpreter will work for me. So that meeting before the session is really important for I both parties. Okay, so you kind of, as like we therapists, we do like a consultation call, you know, to make sure that an individual is a good fit. It's almost like prior to the session, the interpreter and the deaf client would also kind of have a consultation call to make sure that they're a good fit for one another. Yes, and just, you can have a nationally certified interpreter who has a high skill level, work with a deaf client and have a very difficult time because everybody has their own signing style. I've interpreted people that I think are so easy, but my colleague who has a higher level of certification and more years of experience struggles with, because uh, you never know. You, it, it's like speaking to somebody who comes from Ireland or some other country and they have a really thick accent. Sometimes it can be a challenge to understand what, what's being said, even though they're speaking English. It's, it works the exact same way in sign language. That's fascinating. I love that you use that analogy because I was actually just down in Nashville and I had a really hard time sometimes understanding that <laughs> Southern draw. So I get it. I, it's the, kind of the same thing when working with individuals um, in using sign language. Sometimes those differences can really make or break your ability to um, help them interpret. Yes. Are there like, I know you kind of hinted at um, earlier on in the show of how, what a tight knit community, um, the deaf community is and kind of news travels fast because they're their only lines of communication. Like you said, they don't like watch CNN or other um, popular news stations that we of individuals who can hear um, take in. So are there other cultural considerations that's important for therapists to know about the deaf community? Yes. So. The deaf, the deaf community is very broad. Just like we have professors, doctors, lawyers, you know, all the way down to people who have their language skills are, are very minimal, even in sign language, because they have home signs. So having an interpreter try to interpret for somebody at home sign is not going to go very well. You actually have to bring in a deaf interpreter to interpret between the, the, uh, the deaf client and the interpreter because they know the language. Um, but take turn taking is really important when a deaf person is speaking, you wait your turn and the deaf person will give you an indicator. Usually it's an eye movement, a nod, something that lets the, the interpreter know that I'm done. And then, uh, you'll be able to know when to switch. Interrupting is, uh, very taboo okay. in the deaf community. Um, that people can be very blunt, uh, compared to us. So for example, 
um, let's say I haven't seen you in a couple of months, um, I and you've gained a lot of weight, I not, probably wouldn't say anything. A deaf client will be like, oh, wow, you've changed. You've gained a lot of weight lately. What's been going on? They're just very brunt to the point. Uh, and so maybe, you know, your client will come in and say something that throws you off. Culturally, it's appropriate for them. Ah, you know, it's not okay. appropriate for us, but it's appropriate for them. Um, in addition, when you ask, like if you ask a deaf client, how are you doing? They will tell you how they are doing. Okay. How's your day going? Well, let me tell you, I woke up this morning and it was hectic. I woke up late. My alarm didn't go off. I had to get the kids dressed. You know, I spilled my coffee on the way to work and I had to turn around. They will tell you how their day went. Compared to us, it's going okay. It's fine. You know, traffic was bad. So sometimes you can ask a question that will be much longer than you expected. Uh, goodbyes tend to be longer. Okay. Uh, because deaf people, deaf, okay. So in a, we as hearing people, when we have appointments, we tend to get to the point, mm -hmm. do what we need to do, and at the end have pleasantries. Yeah. It's the other way around with deaf people. Deaf people tend to have pleasantries. Then they get down to business. And then they have this process of saying goodbye, okay. you know, because they're catching up, they're relaying information. And goodbyes, usually for us, last two, three minutes. For a deaf person, it could be 30 minutes before oh. before they finally leave and got everything out what they need to say. Um, let's see what else is. Can we talk about the goodbyes for a second? No. So, like, when I'm thinking sure. about, like, planning a session, I think these are really important things to consider because... Um, I think all of us therapists, we kind of get in the routine, like client walks in, hey, how are you? Um, it's the pleasantries, right? Oh, good. Okay. All right. Let's have a seat. Let's dive in. So we kind of need to budget our time accordingly, knowing this about the deaf community. And so the goodbyes, what tends to be some of the contents of their goodbyes when you say, all right, well, we're going to wrap up here. Um, we'll schedule your next appointment. What should we anticipate that they might want to include in their in their sign off or their goodbye with you well it, it, it will depend um so generally what will happen is they will want to see they, they'll want to talk about the session and how it went they might ask you a whole bunch of questions um they if you know if you ask them so what are you going to do the rest of the day they're going to tell you what they're going to do the rest of the day uh, however think one of the things that you'll want to do right when you start working with the client is really, like I mentioned before, setting up the process for interpreting uh, and working with your client, letting them know that you're going to be breaking eye contact, letting them know that you're going to finish on time. And then you can actually make a point on how that's going to look, um, look like for them. So you can go through that process and role play what it's going to look like and just be very, very, very frank. Cause remember it can be a very blunt community is say, you know, I won't have the opp opportunity to have long conversations at the end because I have another client that's coming in. Uh, but if you need to contact me, you know, before our next session, then you go through your normal spiel that okay. you would with any other client. Um, well, what happen is probably the interpreter and the deaf client will be outside your office doing those long goodbyes. Ah, that's okay. what will happen. Yeah. I see. So we as therapists, it's important to kind of note that we are very um, detailed into the process. I, I'm thinking like, as you're talking, I would maybe say to a deaf person, okay, about, um, 10 of, or 10 minutes before our session ends, 
Um, we'll start talking about um, key points from the session, homework to do in between now and the next session, and any other like final thoughts that you have. Um, that would be something that we'd explain to them as to how timing would even go, like giving yeah. them those markers. Would, yeah, and then and when you do that thing, you have to say, and then we're just going to have to stop. Okay. You know, we're going to have to stop because I have another person that's going to be coming in. So you have to be very clear that we're stopping. Okay, you know, okay. Otherwise, you may uh, end up staying longer than you expect. Okay, okay. One thing I do want to mention culturally as well is that deaf people uh, – tend to be very animated, have really strong facial expressions, um, and will make vocal noises. And it can be, for some hearing people, off-putting, especially if they're really exaggerated or if the vocal noises tend to be very strong. Uh, But we we have to understand is that this is how they communicate. This is normal for them. And... Even though it may be off-putting for some of us, it is something that, you know, it's like a client that has a certain thing that they do that can be just a little annoying. Yeah. It's, we, we work with it. Yeah. You know, it's it's who they are. It's, it's incorporated uh, in their being. So having, they, they won't be, they will not modify it for us. Because why should they? Yeah. I almost feel like it's a compensatory strategy, right? It, uh, the, the expressions that they have, would you say, is more amplified because that's their, um, just another way that they can communicate versus... Yeah, so, okay. so yeah, let me explain a little bit about sign language. Sign language has, a, it, it is a language. It has all the requirements uh, that a language needs. Part of it is hand shapes, use of space, mouth movements, eye movements, facial expressions, body language, use of space. All of these things are incorporated uh, to to convey a message. Generally speaking, we have like 70, 80,000 words in English. There are about 16, 1,700 different signs. And so how we use the other 60,000 words is through body language, facial expressions, mouth morphs, use of space, okay. all of that. Do you think us as therapists, we need to mirror that, like, have that have more exaggerated eye movements or, or hand gestures, or will the individual who's deaf think that we're nuts? No, no, just be you. You know, you have to remember these people have been working through a hearing world their whole life. You know, do not ex- uh, do not exaggerate your mouth movements when speaking to them. Um, a lot of deaf people don't read lips, and the ones that they do, you make it much more difficult if you do exaggerate your mouth movements because it's not normal. It's not what they normally see. And some of the, even really good lip readers, they're not catching everything you're saying. They're getting parts and they're putting it together and then they take context and then they, they can figure out what you're, what you're saying. So just be yourself. Don't need to be any different. Be authentic. Like you are with any other client. It will be just fine. We don't need to speak slower or anything like that. Speak louder. No, no, you'll, you'll, you'll make it much more difficult for the interpreter if you do. Okay. Uh, oh, and that's one, another thing. When it comes to this process of interpreting, uh, it's a it can be it's a it's a challenge because you got to understand for the interpreter, we're working with two different languages. One is a spoken written language, the other one is a spatial language, 
And so we have to, in our mind, process this and in real time, interpret it. Uh, and your brain gets tired very, very fast, very quickly. So if you happen to do groups that happen to be an hour or longer, you definitely need to have two interpreters because the longer an interpreter goes, the less of the interpreting will occur. A lot of the message will be lost. And so what, like if I get tired as an interpreter, now what I'm doing is I'm taking the important pieces that I need to give to the deaf client and I'm leaving what I think is tertiary information on the ground. Okay. So then because of the, the fatigue and I'm especially I'm thinking um, the group setting where there's so many conversations and other people might jump yes. in, like you're saying, the fatigue is it, you're at that point really kind of weaning out what you feel like is not important. Um, yeah. And so it's impossible. Yeah. It's, it, it's mentally it is impossible to interpret in the first 20 minutes what what the the percentage that you get across in the first 20 minutes an hour later it's just not possible okay so two interpreters in the group setting would be an ideal situation yes if you're having a session with a, a couple or a family yes. session and you know it's going to be an hour and a half two hours you need two interpreters okay so that's important to know, therapists. I hope you're listening to that part of it. Family therapy, group therapy, couples therapy. You really need two interpreters. Yes. Can, are there any diagnoses? Like as we're kind of hit, uh, honing in on the culture of the deaf community, are there any diagnoses <laughs> that are more prevalent um, that you would say? Like what are the common um, issues that an individual in the deaf community might come to session for? Well, so when it comes, so deaf people have the same diagnosis as the hearing population. There is no DSM for deaf culture. Okay. Uh, it's all the same. It will present itself in a spectrum. Um, and so I don't think there's anything more prevalent in the deaf community that there's in hearing. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that kind of research, but I, I don't think there, there would be. Um, so you'll deal with deaf people who are depressed, anxious, who have PTSD, who have schizophrenia. Um, personally, I don't work. So I want to be clear to the audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I had an interpreting history and I have a social work history. I have not combined the two. You know, in my, my new profession, I, you know, my passion isn't working within the deaf community. Uh, I'm here to just to be able to talk about how both worlds work how they overlap. Uh, so I don't have the answer for that question. But there are interpreters who specialize in working in the mental health field. There's actually a week-long conference for interpreters specifically working with clients that have a wide range of mental health diagnosis. And that'd be one of the resources that uh, I'll provide you that you could include uh, so therapists and social uh, interpreters who want to work in this specialty can find. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what I kind of wanted to hit home on. Um, a couple episodes ago, we did one on disability and serving um, individuals with disability population with Melissa Strickland, right? And I think sometimes we as therapists think that they're coming for services because of their disability. And that's the important part that we have to remember that their disability, like whether they are deaf 
whether they are blind, whether they are in a wheelchair, might have no bearance on them coming to therapy. They could be just as have anxiety and depression just as um, somebody without a disability could have. We have to serve them in the way that we would serve anybody else and not think that they're coming to us because um, their deafness is causing them emotional distress. So I, I think that's exactly what I want to hit home in just as you were saying. They're going, there's not a separate DSM for individuals in the deaf community. Um, they are, their treatment plans, our strategies are all the same except for the interpreter piece of it. Now, what's important to understand, there are ways that may be different in the way you do assessments. Like, uh, so we have these evaluation tests that we do uh, for people, people who have learning disabilities. Uh, so these, these questionnaires that we use, they actually, there is, God, I'm gonna have to find it for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a way that it needs to be applied for a deaf person. Uh, compared to a hearing person. It's um, because culturally it is different. Remember, uh, when it comes to sign language, there is no written, written form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you can't take an assessment and apply it to a deaf person the same way you would a hearing person because the language is so different. Um, I'll, I will work on finding yeah. those resources for you. I remember it got, it's back in my filing cabinet somewhere. Yeah, uh, but I'll, I'll I'll find it for you. Make sure that it's available for your for your listeners. Perfect, and we'll include that on our website um, so that you guys can have the link to kind of find more information on that component of it. What is the prevalence of interpreters? Like, uh, we're recording the show. Um, me and Shonda live in like rural Pennsylvania area. Um, could you give us like an idea? Is it is it difficult to find an interpreter or are they out there and we just don't know? Okay, so we do not have enough interpreters okay. to meet the need uh, for our clients. We, there just isn't. Uh, the vast majority, and when I say the vast majority, I'm talking like, I suspect around 80% or higher of interpreters are female. So finding male interpreters who work with a male client is really challenging. And so... That's one of the reasons interpreters get paid as well as they do yeah. because the demand is so high, you know, for interpreters. And I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. That's okay. Oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought. So there are not enough interpreters. And so, so that's why, uh, okay, I remember now. Okay. So when you ha you make an appointment with, with a client, sometimes we need to cancel those appointments, but you have to realize the challenges for that deaf client and getting a new appointment. You know, sometimes we can schedule for the next day for a hearing person. That's not necessarily gonna happen with a deaf client because there's not enough interpreters. Oh. The likelihood of finding another interpreter the next day is low. And so what happens is you have a client in social services that needs food stamps. Yeah. You cancel, you may not get an interpreter for two or three weeks. Wow. And what's important about that is you can't bring a deaf person to sit in front of you and write notes back and forth because the language is so different. Remember, there is no written form for sign language. So writing back and forth, a lot of communication is gonna be dropped. 
Um, and I, this is one of the things that I really try to hone in on people who are working with the deaf. You have to have an interpreter present if you're going to have them sign legal documents. Uh, okay. You cannot expect someone who doesn't have command of the English language to be able to read everything on a legal document, comprehend what is expected of them, what's expected of you, what their rights are, and sign that document. You know, that is doing a disservice to, to that client. And so two, three weeks later, you're having your client sit in front of you, letting them know that they're not going to be able to access these services anymore because they didn't uh, do their part. Absolutely. And all they did was sign the paper because they were desperate for those services. Yeah. So be mindful of making sure that you have an interpreter anytime you're going to have a client sign any kind of document for you. So essentially, it would look like us sending our, our intake paperwork and our uh, our policies and procedures to the individual who's deaf and then have the interpreter, like, read them, uh, interpret the document to them, and then yeah. they sign. Yeah, it could be done a couple of ways. So you can um, have the interpreter present, have the interpreter read and sign you can just explain the documents the interpreter will, will sign it and i just had a thought i don't know i don't know how this would work but you could probably have an interpreter uh, sign all the legal documents oh, okay if they could be like the and power of attorney yeah they'd have a recording so when you send your legal documents you would send that video as well of them signing what the legal document is then they can sign it i see okay okay yeah, so there's there's ways to go about it, but as therapists, we yes. can anticipate us sending our our paperwork and having even if the deaf person signed it purely because they want access to services, we can't assume that means they know our policies and procedures. Um, they could just be no. doing it because they're desperate for for services, but we really have to for services. Another thing. Yeah. So what? You, let's say you do send it to them. Okay. When you meet with your client, you're going to ask you. What a few questions you want to ask. Did you do this by yourself? Did a family member help you? Did you have a friend who knows sign language explain this to you? And then what you do is you, uh, you go over it. Uh, you generally will go over it to see if they really did comprehend it with the interpreter. Did they comprehend what was being said? Then, like any adult, you just have to trust that the deaf client is telling you that, yes, I understood it. Then you have to trust them. Good. And I think a lot of us, hopefully a lot of us therapists, we kind of go over those things. Anyway, just as you would um, for that first session to say, okay, we, I saw that you filled out the paperwork. I just want to review confidentiality and yes. cancellation policies and, and those types of things. Um, yes. Yeah. Do you think also um, in serving the deaf community, is there, I, it seems like once you work with an interpreter and work with a deaf person once, is it, does it get easier? Do you kind of find your rhythm? Do you kind of get used to the process, would you say? I think you do. Okay. Uh, at first, it, it gets uncomfortable. For example, um, don't look at the interpreter okay. when they're speaking because they're not, they're not the, it's not their voice. The, the deaf person is the one that's speaking. So you need to be looking at the deaf person. As a hearing person, we will want to look at the interpreter. One, it's fascinating. It's interesting. They're making a lot of movement and they're speaking. You know, don't, you know, as you start working with the interpreter, you'll get accustomed 
to them being there, but not really being there. And you'll be able to stay focused. You'll get used to the timing that occurs okay. between the interpreting process that goes back and forth. You know, at first it'd be awkward, not knowing, okay, is it my turn? Oh, okay. okay. And then you go, you'll get used to that process and you'll get used to your client. And when they stop, you'll know when they stop because you've seen it enough times. So you'll get used to it. You'll get proficient. I think it'll happen naturally. You kind of, you find your, your rhythm to it. Yes. Yeah. You'll get used to it. And I heard you talk about licensure, like in mental health services, we can only service clients in the state that we are licensed in. Is that the same for um, licensed interpreters? Can they, can you only service clients in Texas or could you service clients in Pennsylvania? Like, how does that work for you? It depends on the state. Okay. So we have a national certification. So if you get your national certification, you can interpret anywhere. But in Texas, I'm certified, let's say, through my state board. Uh, then, really, I should just be, uh, I should only be working here. But other states will use you anyway. Okay. It depends on the agency and the rules within that state. Uh, here in Texas, we do have people who are have let their certification lapse or have never gotten certified and will interpret. They don't get paid a higher rate. A lot of us don't like that because uh, okay. the quality control, uh, it really doesn't work towards the advantage of our profession and the client. Uh, not saying that some of these people were not certified or not proficient. Uh, it's just, we want to make sure that a professional is actually doing the work. Yeah. That, that quality so really, standards. So, yeah. So I would suggest that you go to your, so look to see if there's a state organization in okay. your state. For, for interpreters. If there is, they'll have a website. They will have uh, what what interpreter levels they have. It might be one, it might be two, it might be three. And usually there'll be a recommendation of what type of level of interpreter you should have based on the study. So if you're working in a school system, they might say a level one basic interpreter. If you're working uh, as an attorney, they might, with an attorney or in the court system, there might be a special certification uh, for legal interpreters. So the website should tell you. Um, but when it comes to mental health therapy, working in a psychiatric hospital, you really want a, a higher level uh, interpreter, especially an interpreter that has, has had training uh, to work in, a, in the mental health field. Okay, so those are some important and key points to look out for. And I think just in yes. our field, we, we you know, put individuals that have proper certifications, proper licensure at a higher level. We also kind of do the same thing where people that are, are working in the mental health community without the proper education, um, although they could be doing a great job, we also advocate for, for standards of, of quality of care and training. Um, and it seems like it's the same thing within the interpreter community as well. Yes. So one thing that you might want to know is is the interpreter a good fit for your client? One, you want to know if they're a good fit for you, and you'll figure that out quickly. Uh, but you know, are you going to ask the interpreter, uh, the deaf person right there, is this interpreter working out for you? Probably not. Okay. So you'll, do, you'll want to do a video relay call and call them at home. Hey, I just wanted to double check. You know, how did you feel about working with the interpreter that we have? Do you feel comfortable with that interpreter? Does that interpreter, you know, uh, meet your expectations? Do they have the skills that you need? And they'll tell you. And if not, then let's say they say no, then you will 
try to find another interpreter. Yeah, that's a good point because we're not going to be able to, uh, it would be kind of inappropriate to do that with the the interpreter present. So you want to do it over a video relay call. Yeah, it would, it would be better. I mean, you could. Yeah. Like for me, I don't take it personally. If they, they asked that question, the deaf person was like, I'm really struggling to understand Benny. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can find somebody to replace me. It's not a problem. The goal is making sure that their, their needs are being met. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if it, if you're not sure, or if you didn't get that feedback in session, you know, kind of looking towards like another individual or a video relay to kind of get that feedback to make sure that it's a good fit for them. Yes. Throughout the show, we've mentioned um, some resources that we'll be putting in the show notes that you'll provide us with. Are there any like big resources that we need to pay attention to? Like any governing um, agencies that we need to, that would be great resources for therapists to access when serving the deaf community. So the first one is you really want to go over the ADA and what's required in working with deaf clients. Two is great resources would be your state certification board, the registry interpreters for the deaf, the national uh, registry board. There is a, uh, a national organization for the deaf uh, that would be a good resources. Gallaudet University is actually a university for deaf students. Okay. Uh, it's the only university in the United States that specifically uh, deaf, deaf professors, deaf counselors, deaf administrators. I mean, it is this all-encompassing world where deaf people can go and get college degrees. Um, and then I'm going to include a website of this woman. I, I forget her name right off the bat. She is deaf. She gives a TED talk and she just gives you a general idea of deaf culture and what it was like for her and what's important within deaf culture. And so that would be one, that would be great to see someone sign and hear someone interpret what she's signing. And then you also get to get a real world knowledge of deaf culture and the deaf world. Yeah. So Uh, so I'll be including that as well. And then I'll include a couple other resources that I think would be beneficial as well. Okay. So I think that TED Talk would be really insightful for us to kind of see how the interpretation works and also to hear somebody from the deaf culture um, talk about their experience and being in the community. Yeah, it's a really, really good TED Talk. It's really good. And the university that you were talking about, can you say the name of the university again? It's Gallaudet University. Where is that located? It's on, the East Coast. It's, it's on the East Coast. I believe it's Washington. I should know this. My interpreter friends are going to kill me for not knowing this. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it's the first uh, deaf university in the nation. I, I, uh, my deaf history is, uh, is killing me right now. That's okay. That's okay. We'll look, look it up. We'll have, the, we'll have the link on our website. Um, as and we... I'll, include a, I'll include a couple of books as well on deaf culture that I think would be beneficial. Perfect. Perfect. And when we were talking earlier before the show, um, you were saying that, okay, if you're a therapist and you serve like one deaf person and you do a good job, a good job, it's going to travel like wildfire. Is that? Yes, it is. Remember uh, that network that, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes through the grapevine. Everybody finds out very quickly. Once a deaf person has a very positive experience with someone, they will go back and they will tell their community, you need to go here. This is the person you want to go to. So let's say you were, you run a business and let's say it's hardware 
and you know some, some sign language and you're friendly and you can communicate even at a very basic level, deaf people will love that. They, they will tell everybody, you got to go see Santa. He's great. He knows sign language. He was so nice. He helped me, you know, and then everybody finds out. Same thing. If you're a really good therapist and they feel confident in your work, um, it will depend if they want to divulge the fact that they're going to therapy or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're a good therapist, people will find out. It's the same thing with with an interpreter. Oh my gosh, Julie is a great interpreter. You're going to want to use her. I you know, see, and I see. interpreters will know about Julie and how Julie's really skilled. Yeah. So I think, it, you know, it's important for therapists to know that, you know, if they go through this process and it, it might not be like a, a once and done, I, I met with a deaf client, but it could travel like wildfire. And then before you know it, you could have many clients coming to who, from the deaf community because of that type network. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, we do not have. I, we do not have enough therapists uh, who provide services for the deaf community. We, we just don't. I wish we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the need is there. Okay. The need is there. We're just not. And I think us as therapists, like, we could do our due diligence by putting things on our website that let clients know, hey, we, we can service you. Please reach out to us. Is there anything that you feel like we could include on our profiles or on our websites to attract more individuals in the deaf community? Uh, you can actually hire somebody to actually on video provide, let the, the, the community know, hey, my name is so-and-so. It's like an about me page and the services I offer just on a separate page and it's oh. a video. So instead of them having tried to read, a language that they may not be proficient in, mm-hmm. they can see very clearly that you offer services, what kind of services you offer, and to contact me. I love that. I love that. So even just on our website, having like a standard message with the interpreter on there is a great way to communicate, hey, we, we're here to help you. Look at we, this is what it would look like. This is what we offer. Yep. And okay. And I don't yeah, think it, I, I mean, that's great. I don't think I've ever seen a therapist website with that feature on it. And I, think I haven't I, either. Yeah. So I we do need know to there's that. a few, I think we have one or two people here in San Antonio that sign uh, and offer services, but it's a handful in the whole state, I think. Okay. It's okay. So many. what you're saying is like the therapist signs. Yes. Like yeah. during their session. Like, I would be one of the few that could offer services if I signed, but that's my, the people I, w- I will end up working with are people who are terminally ill, who are, who are chronically ill, oh. people who are dealing with grief. That's, that's where my passion lies. Okay. Uh, so if I do have a deaf client that's dealing with, with that, I would work with them, but that, that's not my niche is working with the deaf community. Even though people are like encouraging me to do it, it's just not where my passion lies. Not where your your yeah your niche is, um, but I could yeah. see you know there's and I like as you were explaining on the show like we as therapists might know American Sign Language, but it's re- you really need an interpreter that kind of knows all of the languages, knows how to kind of assess the client's um, sign language skills. I would say. Yeah, and so generally it's it's two main ones. It's either English Sign Language or American Sign Language. The difference being 
English sign language is structured in in English in English pattern. So I'm going to the store to buy some cookies. I will sign that in English compared to store me go buy cookies. Okay. You know, in ASL. It's it's very different. The message is the same. And some of us can proficiently go back and forth. Some of us not so much. Some of us are stronger in one area than another. Uh, and then everything in between. Uh, and so really the interpreter will be able to kind of figure it out very quickly. But if you know that your deaf client signs in English sign language, that's what you'll want to request in an agency or uh, ask the interpreter if that's what, if they're proficient in that language. Very good. So we are just out of time here. Um, we had a lot of information. I feel like our listeners are going to be um, running to the website to see the resources that we have available and also probably replaying parts of the show to, to listen to again. Are there any like final closing thoughts, like your last message that you want to send to our listeners before we sign off here? It's just be open to the experience. Mm -hmm. It can feel daunting. Okay. The idea of working with the client. They are a great group of people just like anybody else, understand that they have their own traditions, values, uh, and that as long as you have an interpreter present and you do your job, it will run its course like it's supposed to. Yeah, you'll kind of get your rhythm, you'll get your flow. It's a little uncomfortable at first. You're going to be stepping outside of your comfort zone, but it can be a really beautiful experience for both you and the client. It can. It really, really can. Awesome. Well, Benny, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know my mind is filled with so much more information now than I have ever um, had before on working with the deaf community. Um, I'm so, so, so glad that you reached out to us to have a show on this because, like I said at the top of the show, I don't know any other shows that have talked about this. And it's something that we need to talk about because the need is there and we're not servicing our deaf community um, as we should. So, Hopefully this message um, gets out there to fellow clinicians to um, advertise for services more, make some accommodations to better service the community, and hopefully we'll have more providers. That would be great. Would that, be great. That was, that's the goal of the, this whole uh, interview. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can obtain continuing education credit hours, and we'll see you next time on Therapeutic Perspective. If you listen to the podcast and you would like to obtain continuing education credit hours from NBCC, please check out our website at therapeuticperspective.com. You will first need to click on the show that you just listened to, then the take this course button. From there, you will complete the payment process and attest that you listen to the show in its entirety. After the payment is processed, you will take a 10 question quiz followed by an evaluation so that we can better serve you. After these steps are complete, you will be given your certificate, which can be printed or stored on your therapeuticperspective.com account. If you need any help or support in the process, please email us at therapeuticperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. 